You tell the manager what's happened. You give him the chance to tell his team. And if he doesn't, then you tell them. You can't have people finding things out on Twitter. And I know the chances of that go up. But you, if you're an organization that has any brains, that knows how to handle a situation and aren't stupid, which to me Sheffield United is ascending to pure stupidity, and I will not be shocked. And I, you know what? Fuck them. I hope that they're in League One soon. They stink. On today's footy corner, West Ham and Arsenal play a thriller at Olympic Stadium that included two own goals and a three-goal comeback. Harry Kane continues to be quietly be one of the dirtiest players of the game, drawing a trash penalty in Tottenham's 2-0 win over Villa. TAA is a shock omission from the England squad. Lovren can't cut it in UFC. And City's Aguero replacement might be... Danny Ings? Huh? Along with typical comments, Nonce of the Week and Gambling Corner, next. And we are back on the footy corner. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, We enter a period here of the international break. The first week of the international break, of course, they're generally two weeks. So we're coming off a short match week. So I'll go over those four matches and some teams we usually don't have time to talk about. I'll I'll go ahead and do that. Uh, Again, this is a solo episode, so I don't know why I said we there, but uh, here I am. So I'll discuss those four matches, talk a little bit about some musings, interesting news going on. Uh, and then we do have nonces to discuss this week. Nonceries going on always at all times. Uh, but yeah, I sit here today, do a little brief talk about how everything's going. It is March 25th. That is former co-host Arine's birthday today. So you'll you'll probably be listening to this on Friday, but uh, you could wish him a belated birthday if that's the case. Uh, and our hope, we'll see, is to have him on next week for the panel. So again, next week panel episode it's going to be electric Uh, but here we sit right now in the international break we've got a lot of world cup qualifiers the european teams are are facing off against each other in the first set of matches to see who will make qatar 2022 Uh, we have the euros coming up this summer so a lot of team selections uh, important decisions going on in that meanwhile while i am recording this at at the time of recording the u.s is playing jamaica in a friendly Uh, And I believe this friendly's in Germany. And it is pretty exciting because the U.S. does have Reyna. They have Pulisic on the pitch. Sargent's playing up front. Musa's in. So um, they have some of their players. And we're seeing Damari Gray actually play for Jamaica. They have a few uh, English-based players, um, players that either are playing or have played in the Premier League. So really cool stuff there. So even though the Premier League is not in action, there is no reason for you not to watch soccer. It's it's exciting stuff, especially during the break of the NCAA tournament. I do want to mention that going on before I jump into the Premier League stuff. Uh, you know, last week I came on with Brian. I was super excited, super pumped. Selection show had happened. My boys were playing North Texas in the first round. Arsenal had beaten Spurs. Everything was nice. And then all it took was Purdue losing to North Texas for things to be not nice again. You know, you always watch the NCAA tournament, and, you know, if, if you're a neutral, you love the upsets. You love the madness, the craziness that occurs. But one of the most gutting feelings as a sports fan is your team being the one that got upset. You know, not only is everyone on the planet 
<laughs> or, or I guess I should say the U.S., going against your side for that particular game, especially the end, unless they're really, I guess, their bracket had Purdue going far, although that might have been a mistake because they're such a young team. Uh, you know, everyone is kind of going against you there, and, and uh, it's just a bad feeling. It's one of the worst. I, I would put it up there with losing a, a derby against Tottenham, how I feel after that. Maybe even worse because I know the season's over there. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was demoralizing there. Um, and then, well, I guess that, that came after. You can't have too many good things. You can't have too many good things because that happened Friday. And like I said, through Thursday, everything was golden. You know, last week I told you about how Arsenal and Purdue had done. Arsenal had advanced, even though they played really poor in Europa. Tottenham got knocked out, which was hilarious, against Dinamo Zagreb. So, again, uh, interesting things going on there. Uh, on my end, school is back. So I'm back in class this week teaching. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a rude awakening. Tuesdays are usually tough. So Tuesday was a rude awakening where I kind of sat in my office all day because I teach a night class 6 30 and I also teach one in the afternoon and a lot of people don't realize and they think oh you just come, all you have to do is show up during those times and in between you know you could just diddle and do nothing well you know uh, unfortunately when you're tenure track there's research that goes into things and even within just the class itself especially if you've never taught the class before there is prep that goes into it you essentially the way I word it to people is think about when you had to create presentations for a course and even those presentations were generally 15 to 20 minutes, uh, and you were graded on that. Now, granted, I don't get graded on my teaching. I do once everything's over. But essentially, I'm creating 70 to 75-minute presentations every day, especially if it's a new class. If it's an old one, you know, I can, I've taught it. I know what's going on. But think about researching, and not a completely new topic, because I guess I did learn it many years back, but in some cases, topics you haven't looked up for many years, and creating presentations on those. So a lot of people don't think about that aspect of it. And, and so, yeah, it's been, uh, I've had two new, like I said, two new classes this semester, so that gets a bit wild. But enough of that. Let's jump into the soccer. Uh, things have been getting better. I'm sorry, I, I left it at doom and gloom with the, the Purdue to Purdue game. The Bulls have just traded for uh, Vucevic of Orlando, who's an all-star, so that's pretty exciting. The Bulls are back, even though the Bears stink after getting Andy Dalton. So, again, in my sports world, there's always a balance. You always got the balance. And, and um, being a Chicago sports fan, I'm just getting news here that Eloy Jimenez is going to be out for a long time. So, again, you get good news, you get bad news, you roll with it. You try to consider the good news and put the bad to the side and just maybe you don't pay attention to that team for a bit. Um, but let's discuss what happened this past week. Now that I've gone over my five, six-minute soliloquy here, awesome match. And I'm not just saying it because my team was in it. Uh, it was a great match between West Ham and Arsenal. I'm sure the the uh, neutrals would have found it electric. West Ham goes ahead 3-0 in the first 32 minutes. Lingard, Bowen, and Suchek, some of their heroes throughout most of the season. Well, I should say Lingard since he got loaned. Suchek, I mean, this dude's unbelievable. He scored here. He's also scored now, like I said, as I'm recording on Thursday, yesterday in a qualifier for the World Cup, he scored a hat trick for the Czech Republic. So Thomas Suchek is, as a defensive midfielder, one that plays kind of in the box-to-box role, he is ele- he's an electric factory right now. He's on fire. Uh, so good on him there. Uh, so West Ham really, I think, dominated the first 32 minutes. Arsenal slept walk, and I don't know what it is with them. 
they they tend to really play poorly at the beginning of matches, and that's becoming an issue. It's something Mikel Arteta needs to look at. You know, they're not only are they playing poorly, but it seems like they generally give a goal away. And what do I mean? If you remember, the second goal was absolutely inexplicable. A, a free kick was given on a foul, and Saka starts asking the ref, hey, well, what's going on with that foul? While he's doing that, Pablo Marie and David Luiz, who are defenders, are walking away from the play, I don't, completely away from where the ball is being set. Tierney and Shaka have their heads down, and West Ham just sets the ball down, plays it, and they literally have a one-on-one. Bowen does, I believe it was. Had a one-on-one with Bern Leno, and just Leno should have done better, but again, it's one of those where he should never even had a chance. Uh, Bowen shouldn't have because the ball was played so quick, and he had a one-on-one. Uh, so the team really needs to wake up in that regard. It was poor play from Arsenal. But again, I want to give credit to West Ham. They've really done well with, with Jesse Lingard. Mikel Antonio was causing headaches all day. But it seems like once that 32nd minute hit, the switch for Arsenal turned on, and they were an electric fan. I mean, that they were a team that if you had not seen the first 32 minutes, looked like a, a Champions League side. Um, granted, two of their goals were from Ongol. Suchek, <laughs> six minutes after scoring one for his side, he scored one for Arsenal, uh, and then Dawson scored one in the 61st. Now, the Suchek one was a nasty shot from Lacazette. He really didn't have a chance. It just kind of deflects off him and goes in. The Dawson one, I kind of feel bad for because it looks like he thumped it into his own goal. It was. It looked calamitous. Uh, but really what it was is it was a great cross from Callum Chambers, who doesn't get much time as the right back. Usually that's uh, Hector Bellerin or Cedric. So Callum Chambers getting his odd chance, and he, he sent a really low, fast cross. And as a defender, you really need to get your foot on that. Uh, and that's what Dawson did because he doesn't know who's behind him. And I believe Lacazette was behind him to thump that in. Uh, so I thought that he really didn't have a chance to to uh, settle his foot and, and kick the ball out. And it, unfortunately for him, thumped into their own goal. Uh, And then finally, Lacazette ends the comeback in the 82nd minute with a thumping header on a Pepe cross with his right foot. He's a predominantly left-footed player. It was was surprising to see him get that off with his right foot. And um, Arsenal really, like I said, completes the comeback. It was back and forth even after that. I mean, Mikel Antonio should have won the game at one point. Um, Arsenal's uh, Pepe had a chance to win a game when Odegaard picked him out. And I want to say, Martin Odegaard is an electric factory. He is so good. If if they took secondary assists like they do in hockey, he would have had three assists in this game. Every goal was set up by him. On two of them, he picked out Chambers, who crossed it in to get the goal. On two of them. And on that third one, as I said, he found out Pepe. And, and, and a couple of those were no looks. He would dribble, give a no-look pass. It was incredible. And Arsenal has to do, and I've mentioned this before, I know you might be getting tired of me saying it, but they have to do whatever it takes to buy him. They have to. It's it's inexplicable, ah, inexplicable woo, tongue twister, that they let him get away. Uh, I know he's not their player, and I know Real Madrid can can really price them out, but he's not on high wages. I believe it's the same wages I heard in a, on a pod the other day that he signed as a teenager, like 16000 or 20000 a week. Arsenal can bump that. Now, the key is getting Real Madrid to sell. Now, the problem is the better this player plays – the higher chance that Real Madrid says, uh, nope, we're going to keep him. So it's really a double-edged sword. It's really difficult 
to see how that's going to play out. But if I'm Arsenal, that's I make that my main summer signing. It would be a complete mistake not to do that. Uh, again, props to West Ham. They were in the relegation zone on goal difference at this time last year. So an impressive turnaround from them uh, into this season, into being a respected side. And, you know, it, it's it says something when, and David Moyes said this after the game, when the guys in the locker room are disappointed in a 3-3 draw against Arsenal. Now, a lot of that comes from how it occurred, not being able to hold on to the lead. But I still feel, even though they only had 37% ball possession, uh, the result, they, they still had 15 goal attempts with that 30, 37%. And the fact they stayed kind of within reach of, of Chelsea, they're two points behind Chelsea for fourth uh, and seven behind Leicester, so that's kind of fading. But, but the fact they're so high up and and upset about this result tells you a lot about that side coming through on the other end before i move on arsenal you might sit here and say oh he's gonna he's gonna spew positive things and like i said i was very happy and, and they are better than what they were not when they were going through that crap streak but even the good streak that they had um before that crap streak they were still getting good results but their play wasn't like this their play right now is, like I said, exciting to watch. I know I mentioned this on the last pod. But let me point this out. There's a huge caveat. There is a reason they sit in ninth place today. Yes, that's one better than 10th. But that's not the expectation of the Arsenal. There's a reason they sit in ninth. And it's the same reason every other team sits in ninth that sits there. You know, right now you have Everton in eighth, Aston Villa in 10th, Leeds in 11th. Would you say those are bad teams today? If I told you, hey... Um, you have to be sat in a room and forced to watch this team play. Would you say that's a that's a bad team? Probably not. The reason these teams are where they're at, especially Everton, who is top four, is the inconsistency, and that's what Arsenal has. So people that sit there and say, well, if they could eliminate this error, if they could eliminate that error, these are errors that have been happening even in their good stretch now for three months. Right? If you take Boxing Day, yes, they actually, if you take a table from Boxing Day, Arsenal's in, I believe, fifth or fourth. I think it was fourth place. Back to our good old fourth. That's good. But you need to eliminate the inconsistencies and get up there higher if you're the Arsenal. You need to have higher aspirations. And that's the reason they're in ninth place. They are in ninth because they are a ninth place team. Ninth place teams are good. But what is the problem? They lack consistency. That's the key word in soccer. And Mikel Arteta really is going to have to find a way to get his team to be consistent. With that said, I'm going to go to another team that lacks a little consistency, Tottenham Hotspur. They win 2-0 against Aston Villa, which, yeah, it's a solid win. It's at Villa. But again, Aston Villa without Jack Grealish is a completely different side. Uh, They have struggled without him. They have one win in seven games without Jack Grealish. And I believe in this match, even uh, Ross Barkley was coming off the bench. So I'll be honest, in this match, Aston Villa didn't really have that much bite. They did have a couple chances, as teams will always have here and there, but nothing special. Now, one thing to note is that Carlos Vinicius got a start in a non-Europa League game, so that was quite interesting, and I thought... Yeah, I think the kid has a little bite to him. Now, I say kid. He's 26. You wouldn't believe that, would you? Um, he's, a, he's a Napoli player who was sold to Benfica, and that's where he's come from on loan. And I really I looked up his goal-scoring record, and I was shocked to see that 
in 33 appearances for Benfica, he has 18 goals. So I'm curious on why this ended up being a loan uh, to Tottenham. Like I said, they finally played him. The guy has some bite to him. There was a clash with Kansa at one point, who's not a small guy, central defender. So it's nice to see that uh, that bite and fight probably for Tottenham fans. And he did finish a chance on a great play on a uh, link-up from Kane to Lucas, who found Vinicius for the open net tap-in. The only bad thing I have to say about Vinicius is he really needs to stop doing the Mbappe when he scores. You know, the little, you know, putting your hands under your armpits cross kind of thing. He did that. Who was it? If someone can remind me, they played a really garbage team in, I believe it was the FA Cup on that team's ground, right in their their backyards of houses looking into it. I really wish I knew the name of that. I had it off the top of my head. And someone will do the research and find it and say, ha, how can you forget? A lot of stuff going on. But um, he he did the Mbappe after scoring like a two-yard goal against them. It's like, mate, you really should save that celebration for something a little more special. But I guess when you're not playing much, um, you know, there's that. I think this was a good recovery after what we'd call an awful week for Spurs. And that is not an exaggeration. They lose to Arsenal, obviously, in the North London Derby. And as I mentioned earlier, they got knocked out in dramatic fashion. This was a team that went into their second leg against Dinamo Zagreb um, that was winning the tie 2 nothing against a far inferior opponent even though it was in Zagreb there are no fans so you would think Spurs can finish the job especially with the quote-unquote defensive genius Jose Mourinho uh (laughs) didn't quite happen there so yeah there isn't really too much to talk about this match I thought Spurs played well for the most part uh they did score their second goal on a Harry Kane penalty now that one we can talk about a little bit uh, actually, Steve posted on Twitter, said, I'm just going to leave this here. Afshin knows what to do. So if you watch the clip, uh, the ball is going out of bounds. There's a pass coming into Kane at the edge of the box. He's into the box. The ball is going out past the goal line. Um, and Matt Cash, who was the Aston Villa defender, slides. You know, he does one of those slides that you try to prevent the striker from turning into the goal area, you know, towards the goal if they're on, like, the edge of the box. So he slides, and Harry Kane completely misses the ball. So he he's letting the ball continue to roll out of bounds, and he runs into... So he does a step over, pretending like he's trying to do something special. And then he runs into the contact, falls down, gets a penalty. Now, is that a penalty by the rules of the game? Unfortunately, it is, and I'm going to agree with the call the ref made. Uh, anytime a, a defender like Matt Cash leaves his, uh, his feet... You have to know when you slide, you always give the ref a chance to make that call. So never give the ref a chance to make that call. But again, it proves how shitty of a human Harry Kane is. He's legit trash. He's a trash man. Like we've seen this call before. This is similar to those those that remember Dominic Calvert-Lewin tripping over Trent Alexander-Arnold, I believe it was, in the Everton-Liverpool game to give Everton a penalty. Um, you know, the ball was, was long gone, and he just kind of trips over him. Now, that one I kind of felt maybe Calvert-Lewin didn't know where he was going. His, his head wasn't looking in that direction. But this one, just like what Harry Kane does when he when he, um, when he he finds someone jumping and he tries to, like, tabletop them, he knew what he was doing. He, he's just such a fucking trash human being. Harry Kane's an asshole, and I, and I can't wait till he leaves Tottenham, but I, I think I might still hate him after it. 
Like he's a great player, but he's a he's a trash person. Um, so there's that. He's a mouth breather. Uh, also, um, this was shared by I believe it was Steve. I'm gonna have to look back um, and says uh, brutal for Tottenham because yeah, Men and Blazers shared um, essentially Gareth Bale, who didn't play in this match, said in short terms I guess that he's he's looking to go back to Real Madrid. He came to Tottenham because he wanted to get match time before the Euros. And that's how transfers work, right? It's it's simple. But how it came off in the media to some people is that he used Tottenham. And Josh Hart, who is an NBA player on the New Orleans Pelicans, um, wrote uh, something about him being G League. What was it? Used Tottenham like it was the G League, is what he said. Um, and... The guy said, some guy named Covidiot said, respect the G League. And Josh says, no disrespect at all. I played in the G League for some games. You go there, get reps and work in. That's what Bale just did with Tottenham. So he just says, yeah, he basically used them. But again, I think I think Tottenham knew that. That's how loans work. So yeah, it, it does look pretty brutal for Tottenham when an NBA player comes out and makes fun of you. And uh, hey, I love that. I'm all for it. But again, um, that's the defense I heard a lot of Tottenham Tottenham hand. Tottenham fans saying, and I agree with them. I mean, uh, it is it is what it's for, and that's what they said. Well, they said, we know that. That's what a loan is. So, again, the NBA player does dunk on Tottenham, but I don't think Tottenham or their fans care too much. Now, holy crap. I'm live watching the U.S. game while I'm recording. Serginho Dest, and I'm sure you would have seen it by now, with an absolute cracker from outside the box here in the 35th minute. The U.S. takes a one nothing lead over Jamaica. Holy crap. It had to have been about a 25-yard strike, curls the ball. And this kid, I'll, I'll say this, on this podcast, was it maybe a year ago, and Arine would remember, Dest announced he played for the U.S. over the Netherlands. And I'm pretty sure he had an awful first game, and we shat all over him. And I was like, ah, yeah, of course he picked us, because he can't play for the Netherlands. Oh, was I wrong? There's a take. This kid's going to be special, and he just knocked a goal from God knows where. Unreal. All right, but yeah, back to the Tottenham story. Um, yeah, basically they knew that Bill was going to be a, a short-term transfer. Where do they go from here? I don't know. I, I really don't know. It's tough to read Tottenham. They're only three points out of a Champions League spot. You You know, we've talked about how they're out of it, how they can't make it. Even though they've lost to Arsenal, they've been knocked out of Zagreb, they have to go all in on the league. That's really all they have for them. They have Newcastle coming up next. Big match against Man U at home at Everton. Included later in the season, they play Leicester in the last game. That could be a critical one. So I know they have their EFL Cup final, um, but they have a whole week between that and the other game. So now their focus lies in the league, and hey, they have to try to make noise. Chelsea has a tough schedule. They have to hope they can jump West Ham. It's all there for them, despite the wildness that's gone on. Do I think they'll get in? Absolutely not. And I say that, you know, mostly on uh, biased terms. I, I don't like them, right? So I'm going to say that, fuck them, they ain't going to make it. But they have a 22% chance based on 538's projections. Liverpool 27%, Tottenham 22%. West Ham 17, Arsenal and Everton have two. So just keep that in mind as things go forward. Uh, so Tottenham, big games coming up. Again, 
after the international break, uh, they have, if my app will load here, I, I, I went away for a second, they have Newcastle. They have to win that game, and then it's two against United and Everton. I think those will tell a lot. So Mourinho needs to have his guys ready to go. All right, so let's now jump to some teams we don't talk about too much, or I don't talk about too much. Brighton 3, Newcastle 0, Trossard, Welbeck, and Maupay. Seems like all the guys that score for Brighton did score in this game. It is important to note Newcastle did not have Alonso Maximin or Callum Wilson again. And this has really been their demise this year. They, they, they started the season all right. They weren't bad. And now that they've lost these guys for such a long period of time, it hurts. And why does that hurt? Well, only Lascales and Almiron were the only, there are only two players, and that was those two players, that have more than one goal that were in the starting 11. Almiron and Lascales are the only players, again, that had more than one goal on the entire season. And, and that's something you just, you can't have that. You know, and, and Lascales is a center back. You know, so, oh. Anyway, it, it was all Brighton in this match. They had a jailbreak in the third minute that almost led to a goal. Uh, I think Welbeck, it's been really fun to see Danny Welbeck, you know, as a former Arsenal player. He played for United, of course, as well. He does a great job of taking defenders with him on runs. Uh, and, man, if you wanted to see pretty goals this week, uh, yeah, this game had it. Trossard had an amazing uh, turn late in the half and just bombed a ball from outside the box that went in. Welbeck's goal was also outside the box that was similar to Trossard. So, I mean, very good stuff. Newcastle's best chance came in the 49th minute as Fraser hit the post. But really, outside that, it was all Brighton. They could have won this match 5 or 6 to nothing. Uh, and so, Brighton is a team. You look at the table. And we've mentioned this before with the expected, where they're expected to be in the table for the chances they create. They should not be in 16th place. They are they are a fun team to watch. I prefer to watch them over, what, Burnley, Southampton. Even this year's rendition of Wolves and Crystal Palace. Brighton is a fun team to watch. And they're one to look out for. And they sit in 16th. They're only six points out of Fulham. I think they will avoid relegation. And not only will they avoid relegation, here's my hot take. Brighton and Hove Albion will be next year's what Sheffield United was last year. They will be what Wolves was the year before. They will be that team that jumps around mid-table and will be surprising. If they continue on this trajectory with Graham Potter and maybe find a finisher, or if they just simply find ways to finish their chances, uh, they are they are on the cusp of being, to me, a pretty good team. Fun team to watch. On Newcastle, on the other hand, hot take, they will get relegated. I know they are two points out of Fulham at the time of the recording, and Fulham have one game more played. But I just I just don't see a way out for Newcastle, especially with the injuries they have. They haven't won a game since February 6th against Southampton, who was a struggling mess then too. They've only won two games in this new year out of, what, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 13 games. They've only won two. And you look at their fixture list, they still have Tottenham. They still have West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester, Man City. There is no way out of this terrible schedule. Their last two games are against Sheffield and Fulham. That will determine their season. So Newcastle on the brink. Again, Brighton to me, not only will not get relegated this year, but they will be a team that will fight in the top 10 next year. Hot take. 
And finally, Fulham and Leeds in a big match. Fulham had... This was Fulham's chance at home. Not that Leeds is bad, but this was their chance to really make ground up on Newcastle, and they blew it. Um, and they blew it in a bad way. I thought I thought uh, Leeds really played, outplayed Fulham for, for the most part, uh, with the exception of Melier or Melier, sorry, Melier for uh, Leeds. Their goalkeeper, Ilian Melier, has been so good. He's been unreal. He made a big save in the 27th minute on Maja, and he also robbed um, Angisa in the 40th minute. Now, outside those two really good chances and the one that Fulham scored, they didn't have much else going on. I thought Leeds, especially in the first 25 minutes, dominated the match, had two goals called back, uh, both for offside. Uh, and again, like I said, Leeds dominated. Fulham had some of the better chances, and they almost escaped with a draw. Uh, as you know, Bamford scores the first goal for Leeds, but Joachim Anderson answers nine minutes later, and it kind of looked for Leeds like this was going to be one of those games that they dominated but got nothing out of until Rafinha, on a nice build-up, scores the game-winning goal. Uh, Leeds now propels to 11th in the league. Again, Fulham sit in 18th. They are two points away from safety. And I, I just spewed Newcastle's um, fixture list, and it is... It is a bit of a death row where Fulham has Villa, who's been without Jack Grealish. Wolves, very winnable in that one. Then they have that little tough streak between Arsenal and Chelsea that they play. And then they have a nice little easy run against Burnley and Southampton. Tough game against United, easier game against Newcastle. So I'm telling you, I think their schedule lines up pretty nice compared to Newcastle. And, and we'll talk about it on the panel show next week. But yeah. I think Fulham is is uh, is gonna is gonna make it. They will uh, not get relegated. So now let's go to some comments. Uh, we have quite a few comments and news stories again. Since there weren't too many matches, I figured I can talk a decent amount about uh, <laughs> interesting stuff brought up. We heard Brian's struggle uh, last week early in the episode with um, Johnny wanting an apple and then getting a banana. Steve says, I love Brian's parenting fail in air quotes. Instead of your kid wanting one piece of fruit, he got two. You should be framing this as a trick my kid brag, which I love. Uh, and Brian says, I didn't mention the tantrum he had because he didn't wash his hands. He got the apple in addition to the banana because he finally relented to washing his hands. Steve said, the fact your kid is throwing a tantrum to get fruit instead of his iPad is a win. Take the W. Yes, I completely agree with what I'm hearing from kids these days. Although I'm sure there are other things. I'll give Brian this. There are other things, absolutely, that probably, you know, grind your gears as a parent uh, with your child doing so. I completely get being upset with, with him there. But, yeah, that, that example was interesting because, man, if the kid wants fruit, that's great. Uh, Steve, in relation to Brian and I bringing up this own goal thing, he said that there are official scorekeepers who record the stats. Firmino didn't get credit for his deflected goal either against Sheffield. So is there anyone out there that knows how the scorekeeping is done on this? And and, and I know, I know the rule is if it wasn't going in, then and it deflects, then the own goal is given. If the shot wasn't gonna be on target. But again, we, we mentioned an example where we thought it was the other way around. So is that a little bit of like 
home cooking. But even so, wouldn't the home team want to give the goal to their player rather than the own goal? So I, I don't know what goes into it. I'm not sure why some of these are worked out. But again, that's one of the smaller issues that exists in soccer today. And I don't think we need to really worry about it too much. But it is an interesting thought. It really is in terms of uh, kind of what's going on there. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll have to see what what uh, what people have to say in regards to that. But I'm pretty sure most of our listeners aren't too worried about scoring. It's just a curious thing. Does anyone, you know, you reach us at the footy corner too if you have a take on scorekeeping. Uh, is there anything I said that was wrong here? I'm pretty sure if the shot's off target, it deflects in. It's just, it just seems like some... Uh, refs have had kind of a different outtake or outlook on it so uh steve sent this really cool clip in absolute scenes it comes from via men in blazers it was in the match between sevilla and via real real is up one nothing in the 95th or 94th minute uh 93-18 and there's four minutes of stoppage time they have a corner so obviously this is when the goalie comes up and everything that the goalie dreamed of or that people that are goalies dream of or have always kind of thought of occurs Sevilla's goalie scores his name is Bono and it ends up a beautiful day he says he scores the equalizer against Unai Emery's side so an amazing goal uh so I actually the um the intern is retweeting that right now so you'll see that on our account the reference if you want to check it out it's the men in blazers retweet I want to thank Steve for bringing that to our attention. Nikhil says, now this is in regards to Tottenham and their Europa League failure. He says, where is the lie on an image? And I'm going to retweet this one as, or I'm going to have the intern retweet this as well. That has a picture of the Dinamo Zagreb manager. It says in jail for fraud. And next to him, it says, it has Jose Mourinho's picture and it says the actual fraud. So I thought that was hilarious that Spurs not only blew the 2-0 lead to Dinamo Zagreb, they lost to a team whose manager is in prison, in jail. Unreal. Hilarious stuff, I thought. Uh, so great, great stuff there. I, I just love it when Tottenham sucks. So that's good on that end. Now, uh, in the footy corner, I should have probably opened it up to other listeners, but our panel had uh, brackets this week. And Steve sends a tweet uh, earlier that said, stop the count because, well, even now, He's in first. But after the first round of games, he was way in first. Actually, Steve, your league, your lead is even greater now. Steve has 44 points, and he leads the way. Although, I will say this, he has the minimum left. Or he, has, like, he has the lowest amount that he could score on the maximum because Illinois is his champion out. Ohio State's in his Final Four, and they're out as well. So he has the champion and two Final Four teams out. I'm uh, Brian's in second with 37 points, and while he sits in second, he ha- also has the second highest potential max points. His entire Final Four is still alive: Gonzaga, Alabama, Baylor, Houston. So you should be happy. Uh, Jeff Paris sits in third. Uh, he is tied with Brian. Of his Final Four, three are left: Baylor, Houston, and Michigan. Iowa getting knocked out unceremoniously. Nikhil sits in fourth with 36 points. His entire Final Four is intact with Gonzaga, Bama, Baylor, Houston. Did, did he and Brian copy each other again? Someone check. What the hell is going on here? Sorry. And I'm in last. Of course. Of course I'm in last. I have 34 points. 
two of my final four are out, Texas and Illinois, although my national title is still intact. And if Baylor wins it all, I will win the bracket. And guess what, folks? March Madness is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I'm going to win the bracket. I want you all to know as well, I'm going to do a humble brag here because people, a lot of my friends, and this is obvious banter, have been making fun of me since I'm in last place because I'm so into college basketball. I will say this. The the best of the best cannot predict March. But you you guys know, maybe you've heard of Joe Lenardi, uh, Jerry Palm. These are bracketologists. These are guys that based off the season will create a bracket. And um, what was it? Maybe four or five years ago, I created an algorithm in Excel. I'm a big, obviously you guys know I'm an engineering nerd. And I like Excel as a lot of my friends do. And I create an algorithm based on certain rankings. I'm not going to give it away here. And I started doing my own bracketology. Now, let me tell you guys this. I've been really good in that. And I'm not just saying that. I can have Brian attest. On top of it, this year, I got 67 of the 68 teams correct that got into the field. Wichita State being the only team I said was going to be out. They should have been. That was a wrong decision from the committee based on the metrics I had. I, I tied Joe Lenardi, the ESPN expert. I was I had the same amount correctly seeded as he did. And I had one more team within one seed than he did. And guess what that did, folks? DraftKings, who's a gambling site here, had a contest, a pool. And in that pool, it just asked random questions like Tennessee over under a 5.5 seed. How many teams from the Big East will make the tournament? Will this conference have more teams than that conference? Who will be seated higher, Texas or Kansas? Things like this. Ten questions. And I did those ten questions based on my bracketology. As did a couple of the other guys. Brian did it. I know a few other listeners. Nine out of ten, because that stupid Wichita State one, if that had hit, ah. But nine nine out of the ten were correct. And guess what? That netted each of us $22. Twenty-two dollars. My analysis got twenty-two free dollars for people. So if you want to come at me, make fun of me for my picks, that's one thing. But it's another if you want to get in on this. Let us know at the Footy Corner too if you want bracketology updates next year, so that perhaps when the time comes on that Sunday when I release my last bracketology two to three hours before the selection show, you could lay bets down, and I guarantee you you're going to win a lot of money. All right. So with that said, sorry, a little side talk with the NCAA's. Uh, And that's really it for the main comments, but I do want to mention kind of a few other news bits, musings as I call them usually. Uh, First, I want to start with Ralph Hassenhudel of Southampton, and I agree with him. He says that internationals during a pandemic are nonsense. Ralph Hassenhudel is concerned about Southampton players making long journeys for international fixtures during break. Uh, on loan, Liverpool forward Takumi Minamino is set to play for Japan against Korea. Striker Shea Adams has been named in Scotland's squad for World Cup qualifiers. That was one I don't think I saw coming. But he said, like I said, he says it's nonsense for players to do this during an international or international matches during a pandemic. So, um, you know, FIFA is given clubs travel dispensation to prevent players who may be affected by regulations from joining up with their country so they will not have to have these certain quarantine rules but many managers 
are upset with this and not really wanting this to happen. And I kind of agree. I think <clears throat> I get it. We need to have these international breaks for the competitions we're going to have coming up. But we're hearing about cases, and I'm going to get to one in a second here, and I, I don't know, is it the best idea to have these matches, you know, all over the world? You might have, maybe you come up with another solution and just put them in one place, but again, you'll still have people traveling from all over. So it's hard. It's really hard, and I don't know if you should be having international breaks uh, you know, during this this pandemic. But here we are, and, uh, you know, we're getting closer to the end. But just to show that we're not quite out of the woods, that we're not quite at the end. In Italy, Inter Milan had an outbreak issue. Their match against Sassuolo on Saturday, this past Saturday, last week, was postponed because of an outbreak of coronavirus at the club. Uh, at the club. They have banned their players from traveling for international duty. Stefan DeFry and midfielder Matthias Vecino were the latest players to test positive for COVID-19. Uh, Handanovic and Ambrosio tested positive earlier last week. So basically Milan suspended any team activities for four days, including that match against Sassuolo. And all players have been prohibited from fulfilling any call-ups to their respective national teams. So the entire team was tested again uh, Monday, and players are due to join up with their national teams after the weekend's games for the start of World Cup qualifying. Uh, but wait, I thought it said here that their club players have been prohibited from fulfilling call-ups to their national teams, but players... We'll join. Oh, sorry. So the previous news thing said they wouldn't, but I guess since they tested net negative, the players that did were able to travel. But again, you have to realize, folks, be safe. Be careful. We're not completely out of the woods, and you have to be mindful of that. And, and outbreaks like this, a team like VCU getting kicked out of the NCAAs because of having a positive COVID test does show that. Now here's one that I'm interested to hear the Liverpool fans takes. Since we are having international soccer, let's talk about what has occurred. Gareth Southgate, the England manager, has left Trent Alexander-Arnold off of the team. And it says that Liverpool have been shocked and bemused following this decision to omit Trent Alexander-Arnold from the latest England squad. Uh, players like Ollie Watkins and Sam Johnstone earned their first call-ups to the side, although they were not in direct contention. The players that were called up in place of Alexander-Arnold were Karen Trippier, Reese James, and Kyle Walker. So again, the decision to leave Alexander-Arnold out hasn't gone well with the club, who generally, you wouldn't want your guys to go out. But I think for his confidence, they're a little upset. Um, and, and they believe that the Southgate has never fully trusted the fullback. Drive Times' Adrian Durham said it was one of England's biggest omissions in many, many years. So I wanted, he said, or sorry, Darren Goh said it's like leaving Harry Kane out. So I want the input of anyone, especially Liverpool fans, at the footy corner to let us know what you think of the omission of Trent Alexander-Arnold and will it lead to omission in a big contest or competition like the Euros? Or is this like a, hey, you know what, it's just qualifiers. Maybe he's just giving them a wake-up call. It'll be okay. It doesn't matter. So let us know what you think, and if it, you know, again, as a Liverpool fan, I'm sure on one end you want him to be around, 
you don't want him to travel, so that's a good thing. But on the other end, you wonder how much will that affect his confidence. Speaking of confidence, uh, Dejan Lovren, who doesn't lack it, has had many interviews since leaving Liverpool, did attempt to fight in, a, or spar, I should say, in UFC. Former Liverpool defender Dejan Lovren was submitted by ex-UFC superstar Mirko Krokop in a MMA training session. Uh, the Croatia international, who's now playing at Zenit St. Petersburg, managed to last around 50 seconds in a cage before tapping out to an armbar. So it tells you that no matter how well these guys train, they're trained soccer players. Dejan Lovren, who's a hard man in soccer terms, you just saw, couldn't go longer than 50 seconds in a ring against a retired, a retired MMA fighter. Uh, I'm trying to find the age of that MMA fighter, uh, but Lovren's only 31. Again, obviously, Miracle Crop had a lot more training, and, and you know they they laughed about it at the end, and Lovren thanked him for the training. So my question, to you guys, it's I'm not here to make fun of him. It's to show that it's so hard to be an expert in your trade or to be the best in your trade. My question to everyone out there is, who would you pick? Who do you think in the EPL would have the best shot in a UFC ring against any UFC fighter? Say the worst one. This is very similar to that question of years ago, can the Alabama Crimson Tide in football beat the Cleveland Browns? I'm asking that right now. Can anyone in soccer beat a UFC fighter? If I had to pick one, if you had to pick one that has a chance, my pick, or I guess let's leave it to all of soccer. My pick right now would be Adama Traore because he's not scoring goals. He's been brutal for Wolves in the past year to year and a half. Maybe he's training in UFC now. That's my pick. I know some people might even consider Hulk from years ago. So let us know who is your soccer player. I'm going to leave it open to all soccer players um, that would be good in the UFC ring. And I know Brian's thinking of Atkin Fenua. So uh, he might be a little older and slow, but we'll see. Let us know who do you think would have any sort of shot in the UFC ring against even the worst UFC fighter. A little bit of news I want to bring up, and it seems like this has been happening a little more often with players and situations. I felt kind of bad. I talked about Chris Wilder last week getting axed from Sheffield. I didn't agree with the decision. I still don't agree with the decision. But again, how it occurred was bananas. David McGoldrick, as you guys know, Sheffield United player, has revealed that the Sheffield United players didn't know about Chris Wilder's sacking until they saw it on Twitter. That's wrong, man. If you're going to fire a manager... You need to call the team in. You need to call the manager in first. You set up a meeting with him, and you set up a meeting with the team shortly after. You tell the manager what's happened. You give him the chance to tell his team, and if he doesn't, then you tell them. You can't have people finding things out on Twitter. And I know the chances of that go up, but if you're an organization that has any brains that knows how to handle a situation and aren't stupid which to me, Sheffield United is ascending to pure stupidity. And I will not be shocked. And I, you know what? Fuck them. I hope that they're in League One soon. They stink. So, uh, you know, you need to figure it out, folks. Chris Wilder's five-year reign at Bramall Lane came to an unusual end earlier in the month 
after reports that he would leave the club went unconfirmed for days. Press conferences were canceled that created confusion, and Paul Heckingbottom was appointed interim manager. Took charge of a 5-0 defeat. The Blades' top scorer, McGoldrick, doesn't know until it's on social media. That's, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. You know, the club didn't confirm it for so long, and, and yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say, man. Sheffield is going to get what's coming to them. And it's sad because they were a fun story last year. But, you know, there's that uh, that occurred there. A scary moment, and it always is a scary moment. Um, Celtic, uh, the former Celtic striker, you guys remember, one of the Musa Dembele is out there who is now with Atletico Madrid on loan. Uh, he's he's the Lyon striker now. So he was with Celtic, went to Lyon, had actually a really good Champions League, I think, last year. Uh, he fainted and appeared to lose consciousness this past Tuesday in a training session. Uh, he was stretching out his hamstrings before collapsing to the ground and laying motionless on the pitch. Teammates obviously were in, were distraught. They called help with the medical staff. There are pictures, I mean, it's scary to see of him just kind of laying there. They spent several minutes resuscitating the players. They got an ambulance. He regained consciousness uh, after being turned on his side and actually was able to leave the pitch unassisted. Um, so he's gone for medical tests since then. And here's the great news. Reports say that there was no serious concern, and it looks like this incident was caused by low blood pressure. So thankfully, I mean, it's one to keep an eye on, but thankfully nothing bad came out of it. It was scary. Uh, so, you know, the blood pressure thing, I actually just found out shortly before I'd written this episode, so our thoughts are with uh, Musa Dembele and family, but it looks like it's going well. So... That was good to. That's good to read about. Uh, yeah. Side note: I'm getting word that White Sox outfielder Eloy Jimenez is out five to six months. Ah. So yeah, that's a big blow for a team that was looking to make noise this year. So here you go. See, I'm telling you, I get good news and I get bad news. I get good news. It's it's all up and down. So, uh, fun sports world we live in. Let's go to good news. We've talked a little bit about this stuff. Well, not good news. Let's talk first controversy. I got some controversy. If you like some juicy stuff. Here's one. So, uh, Leeds player Edgegan Ezjan Alyaski. I just know Alyaski is his last name. Ezjan Alyaski. Uh, he was that shithouser. I, I I don't like him as a player. I I, I remember it. he was the one that got Pepe sent off against Arsenal. Uh, but there are some reports that he's had a pre-contract. Uh, with Galatasaray as his um, as his contract's coming to a close. I don't think it's official. I think there's just kind of words that he's discussing with the Turkish Giants over a summer move, and the Leeds fans are pissed. And you might say, well, what, what are they all mad about? For those that aren't aware, Leeds' bitter hatred towards the Turkish side is no secret. After their, uh, two of their supporters, Chris Loftus and Kevin Spate, were stabbed to death by Galatasaray fans prior to the UEFA Cup semifinal in 2000. So since then, the fans haven't forgotten. They absolutely hate Galatasaray. And so, you know, the news of Alioski reportedly being in discussions with Galatasaray has kind of dug deep into the hearts of these uh, Elan Road faithful fans. Now, I, you know, that's completely understandable. The point is, this kid, Alioski, he's young. 
I mean, he probably wasn't privy to what occurred then. So that's one side of the argument, right? He's too young to really understand or know what's happened. Heck, he, I mean, he was probably only two, one, two, who knows how old he was when it happened. Maybe he wasn't even born yet. Well, he may have been. may have been really young. And also coming from a foreign country, I think he's Macedonian, how, how would he have known? But on the other end of it, you'd say, well, when a guy joins a club, they should get an idea of the culture. They need to understand what they're getting into. And so the counter-argument to what I just said is, well, he should know the culture of Leeds. When you join a, a team, you should take that effort to understand the culture. And I think if he was an English player, I think maybe he would know better. But since he's foreign, and I don't think he's been with them that long. Uh, and even people in the media, some of the former chairmen have defended him and said, you know, a young lad coming in, you know, he's not going to know better in some cases. So, you know, Alioski is, oh, wow, he's 29. So he was eight when it happened. That I was way off on that. I thought he was younger than that. And he's been with Leeds since 2017. So he's maybe had four years to figure it out. So let me ask you guys, what do you think? Obviously, I think as a fan of the club, you'd be upset. But what are your guys' thoughts on Alioski? Is he, should he have known better? Or is he just unlucky in kind of being thrust into a situation that, hey, you know, hey, he just wants to move his career on. That's an opportunity. It's a big club in Turkey. And he didn't know about this stuff. And even if he did, should that dictate? It's not an in-country rival. So let me know what you think at the footy corner two. Now, the last bit of interesting news I want to touch on would be of big interest to Jeff Paris. I saw these and my eyes opened up. It is that Manchester City, they are going for Erling Holland, And we all know that. That's not a secret. Now, that's going to be really tough to do. But if they cannot get Erling Holland. Their alternative in having a Sergio Aguero replacement is, drumroll, Danny Ings. Danny Ings. Um, my eyes opened up. I, you know, Danny Ings had a stint at Liverpool, and I know a lot of people have talked about, um, you know, that he'd be a great player at another club, and it just didn't work out at, at, at Liverpool. And that said, is Danny Ings, he's 28. So he's not like super young either. Is he Manchester City quality is my question. What do you guys think? Jeff Paris, I want to know your opinion. Would you be happy if, let's say, Erling Holland was so out of reach and they clearly went for him and couldn't get him? Would you be satisfied with someone saying, hey, look, dude, we got you Danny Ings, though. Would you feel good about that? Um Apparently, I think Liverpool would make money off of it as well. I think they have a sell-on clause of sorts, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure Liverpool fans out there know and they can, they can let me know. So, I don't know. He's a proven scorer in the Premier League. That's one side of the coin. The other side is, you, I feel like Manchester City should strive for maybe a younger, more up-and-coming player. Something just a little better, no? I don't know. Maybe I'm overestimating or the situation, and I have it all wrong. So let me know what you guys think at the footy corner too. Danny Ings to Manchester City is a very big possibility. And with that said, let me go to results of Mount Rushmore. We will not have Mount Rushmore this week because, again, I'm not going to do a Mount Rushmore myself, but we'll have an epic one next week where we have a little mini tournament amongst the panel 
So prepare yourselves for that. Um, so I want to go over the winner of last week. That was me. We had the Mount Rushmore of March Madness moments. Uh, who's are you picking? I had UMBC over Virginia. Bryce Drew's Valpo shot. Chris Weber calls an inexplip- inexplicable. <laughs> inexplicable. I'm having a day here. Timeout. And Leitner gets the game winner for Duke over Kentucky. Brian had Jenkins wins the title. Loyola's sister jeans. NC State in 83 and the Florida Gulf Coast Dunk City side. Um, there was some comment here from Steve. Marie is a Loyola alum, and getting to ride that wave was awesome. Florida Gulf Coast was awesome as well. So I have a feeling, um, especially when they kept showing the dorms that the captain lived in, which was a walk out to the beach. Yeah, I guess that wouldn't hurt on the run. Um, so, yeah, you know what? That Loyola run, Steve, you mentioned it. They're having another one. They're in the Sweet 16. Big win over Illinois. Uh, and on top of beating Illinois, they have a great shot. They're playing a 12 seed to make the Elite Eight. And I, honestly, I am rooting for them. That is my team now. I want them to make the Final Four again. And I think if they make it, oh, oh, they're so fun to watch. So I'm sure, you know what? I hope I don't have to wait until I'm 98, which was what Sister Jean was the first time Loyola made it. And she's 101 now for my team to make a Final Four. But it's such a great feeling. That must be exciting. That must be something to just, your team makes it every three years, and when they do, they make the Final Four. Now, Loyola Chicago this year has still next week's obstacle to go through, or, or this weekend coming up. Damn, that's in a few days. But And so if they don't win it or don't make it out, yeah, that's my fault. I apologize. I probably jinxed them. But if they do, holy shit, that's amazing scenes. Also, just an update, the USA has scored again. Um... This time it's actually from Josh Sargent on a nice move, crossing to Brendan Aronson, uh, who plays for Salzburg. Uh, yeah, good goal from them. They're looking solid. They're up 2-0 on Jamaica right now. So that's fun stuff over there. So let me now go to the last week, uh, the winner of, now that we've talked about Mount Rushmore, it was a fun, fun poll. Those that didn't get to vote or, I guess, voted, check out, I put clips of everything, or sorry, the, the intern, <coughs> Put clips of all the moments up there. So it was really cool, I thought, um, to see all those again. It was really fun. Now, if we go to the uh, Nons of the Week winner last week, Matt Rowan gets the victory. Matt Rowan is the announcer that was caught on the open mic using a racial slur during a basketball game. So he rightfully wins over AFTV. Arsenal Fan TV got 38% of the vote. Sorry, Matt Rowan got 49%. Arsenal Fan TV had 38%. Shkodran Mustafi with his awful own goal had 13%. I bet a Schalke fan voted for him. And Zoran Mamic, who went to prison, 0%. I guess it's because Jamaica qualified. So people were like, well, fuck it. Who cares? They qualified. With that said, uh, that's the winner of last week's Nonce of the Week. Let's see who will win this week's Nonce of the Week. You are a nonce, You're a nonce, mate. And so we have some, some interesting candidates. One... The first one I want to mention was actually brought up. Uh, I, I already had it on tap, but it was also further brought up by uh, Nikhil. So shout out Nikhil for this one. Andrej Kudela is up for the announce this week. He plays for Slavia Prague. Many of us know from Europa League, they advanced. They beat, um, who was it, Rangers. And in that match, Slavia Prague defender Andrej Kudela uh, called Glenn Kamara, 
who plays for Rangers. Um, I, I, I don't know if I want to say it, um, but he called him, a, you know, derogatory terms. He called him an e- – well, I'll say it, whatever. He called him a, an effing monkey, which is absolutely out of control. It's vile. Uh, so Kamara it, – it's very clear he did it. The clip is on – I'll see if the – you know, actually we'll put the clip in the Nonce of the Week candidate list. So, again, always when you see Nonce of the Week, look at this uh, the little tweets below it that we put in as well because then you could see it's very clear. I mean, he had to have whispered. He covers his mouth. And for him to deny it would be out of control. But he very clearly said something bad. For Glenn Kamara to react like that, and you even look at some of his own teammates, if you look at their reactions, it wasn't very good. So Andrej Kadella, I mean, it's something that continues to happen week in and week out, and it's so frustrating. Uh, but, yeah, that that that's awful stuff. So that's bad. I mean, And that's competing with another racist here. Um or a bigot, I should say. Dave Mamoron is our second candidate. He's a Massachusetts high school coach. He was fired, so I'll give props to his school. The Ducks, uh, Duxbury High School out in Massachusetts fired their uh, football coach, is what it was. Dave Mamoron is his name. Uh, and there's going to be an investigation into him because there's reports that the team, uh, obviously under his instruction, used anti-Semitic language in their play calls. For instance, using a mention of Auschwitz in their play calling during a recent game. The outrage is real, warranted, and we hear it says Duxbury High School's administration. The fact that members of our school community use such offensive language, including anti-Semitic language, is horrifying and disappointing. In response, the school has severed ties with head coach Dave Mamoron and canceled their Friday game against Hingham, said the statement. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think they're making the right move, but how? How in today's society does this continue to happen? It's absolutely, in my opinion, some unreal stuff. Uh, let's go to something a little lighter. Uh, Dave, or sorry, Dave Peel, Tim Peel, who's an NHL referee. This actually just happened. It's fresh off the wire, actually, from like what maybe last night, March twenty fourth. Um, Referee Tim Peel will not work another game in the NHL. He was working the Nashville Predators and the Detroit Red Wings game uh, a couple nights ago, I believe, on March 23rd. He was due to retire at the end of the season. He's been working in the NHL since October of 99. He's done 1,334 games. Now, it's well known to people that maybe in the refing fraternity that they sometimes will... uh, Try to balance penalty calls out in a game, right? You'll you'll definitely see calls that are questionable, and you're like, oh, that's a makeup call. What's he doing? Well, this guy had a hot mic on him. Tim Peel did, this ref. And after, you know, with 12.42 left in the second period, uh, Nashville got called for a penalty, um, I think. So what it was, actually, sorry, with 15.04 left in the second period, Predators Victor Arvidsson was called for a trip against Red Wings defender John Merrill. So maybe Steve saw this game. Uh, And this was in the offensive zone. Even though replay showed that Merrill uh, embellished his fall maybe a little to draw the call. So Peel makes the call. Later in the period, three minutes later, two and a half minutes later, Peel is caught on a hot, hot mic saying the following, It wasn't much, but I wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early. Wow. That is awful to get caught with that, saying that. So... Hot seat, Tim Peel, really. Um, hopefully he can sort himself out because that is a, a bad look to have there. Um, 
So, yeah, he's he's pretty much done anyway. Um, but, you know, we all kind of know what happens, but it's one of those things you don't want to talk about, especially on a play that, ruin, that may ruin the integrity of the game. Even though that went in your favor, Steve, I want to know what are your thoughts on that call from Jeff Peel. And finally, last but not least, I could uh, put out something that was egregious against me. Um, and you know what? Actually, I'm going to do that. Jeff, you submitted one. I just don't have the heart to put Arsenal on there. It's going to be Popeyes. So I ordered online from Popeyes. Uh, maybe late last week it was a cheat meal Caitlin and I ordered. And, you know, clearly, you know, my name Afshin shows up on a computer. And you can, you know, write that on, the, you know, they write your name on the bag for delivery. Sometimes they don't. But for the delivery driver, I think they write your name down there. And, um... Whoever was working at Popeye's maybe thought they were being funny. And I get kids like to joke these days. But on the bag, they wrote Afghanistan. And so, you know, that's not a misspelling. And it might be funny to you. But to me, that's that's racist too. Like, you know, making fun of someone's name like that, um, their culture, uh, you know, whoever it was. You know, you you could have a laugh with it amongst your friends. But when you put it on a bag to put it out for delivery, I think that's incredibly... Uh, unprofessional, it's racist, and Popeyes has not sent me any apologies yet. Uh, and uh, so what ended up happening is I called the store after it occurred, and I said, hey, look, this is what happened. I think I'm, I'm a little upset about this. I don't think this was a professional thing. And they claimed it was an accident, even though I, I started yelling at them after. Maybe I should have been more calm, but after they claimed it was an accident, I said, an accident I've seen a thousand times with my name misspelled. When you misspell it after a country that I'm not even from, that nothing against that country, but you know they're known to have been in recent tatters and ruins lately. Uh, either way, just doing that to someone's name is, uh, is completely unacceptable from, I think, a, um, a corporate kind of a business. So yeah, they, uh, they didn't say that, so we tweeted at them. Haven't heard anything from them yet. Uh, full court press will go on when we put them up for nonce of the week. So Popeyes is your other candidate. Honorable mention, Jeff submitted this. Um, there are many people that are living on flats right outside Arsenal Stadium. Now, after the Greenfell incident, many people have heard of it, uh, where uh, it was tragic out in England. There was no fire safety on this set of buildings, and many people perished in an awful fire um, in England. Now, these buildings don't have proper fire protection. It's been found out through some investigations uh, ever since that Greenfell incident. They've, you know, England kind of updated their codes. And um, these are called, well, now they're called fire trap flats. You know, they failed post Grenfell safety tests. And I said Greenfell, sorry, Grenfell. And people that live in there are very nervous and scared that if a fire happens, they will have no way of getting out. Now, their problem is that they're, their homes are worthless almost because people now that are aware of this will not buy um, or will not even rent from these people. Uh, on top of it, Arsenal is not going to pay the help the residents pay the 4.6 million pounds to improve the area. And on top of it, they're asking the tenants for 50 pounds a month for insurance. So, yeah, doesn't look great for uh, for the gunners. Um, and their organization, but it is tough. In a time like this, it's tough to get 4.6 million pounds. The thing I'm upset about is them charging the 50 pounds for insurance. So the honorable mention goes 
to Arsenal. So again, Andrej Kudela for racially abusing Glenn Kamara of Rangers. Uh, it was very obvious. It looked like in the video. Dave Mamoron, a head coach at Massachusetts High School who drew up plays with anti-Semitic language. Tim Peel, an NHL referee who was caught on a hot mic trying to even penalty calls by saying it wasn't much, but I figured to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early. And Popeyes for uh, their racial abuse of, of my name. Obviously, that's one of the weaker transgressions. Um, and Arsenal getting an honorable mention. So go ahead and don't forget to vote for Nance of the Week. So let's go over some of the draws now. And I, and I almost forgot to include this within the comments. So here you're getting it after Nance of the Week. <clears throat> let's talk about the draws for the Europa and Champions League. Might as well. We're down the stretch. We have the quarterfinals for both of them coming up. And I'll start with Europa League, the, the appetizer, so to speak. The draw came out. You've got Granada versus Man United and Ajax versus Roma. The winners of those will face each other. Again, it's a little quartet of Granada versus Man United, and the winner of that will face the winner of Ajax and Roma. On the other side of the bracket, now that we're in March Madness times, Arsenal against Slavia Prague and Dinamo Zagreb against Villarreal. Man, again, that's another pod where you have the potential. If everything falls the way it could, Arsenal could be against Unai Emery, and I want to see that. I think it would be great entertainment. Um, but again, they've got, to get, they've got to get through Slavia Prague first, who has disposed of two teams from the UK. They've disposed of uh, Leicester City and Rangers. Um, so they got rid of those teams in their past. Now, looking at the draw, I think the most intriguing matchup of this round, and I think it's no question, it's... It is clear that Ajax and Roma is the class of this round. That will be a great matchup. And the winner of that versus probably Man United, who should run Granada over, which is the worst of the four matchups, in my opinion, um, should reach the semifinals. On the other end, you'd favor Arsenal and Villarreal. But again, Dinamo Zagreb against Spurs showed that they have fight. You never know what you'll get out of them, even though their manager's in prison. And Slavia Prague, again, as I said, disposing of a couple of UK teams. So again, I'm expecting United versus um, ooh, Ajax, Ro Ajax Roma. I don't know. Who do you got? Let us know at the footy corner too. I'll just say... I think Roma's a little better. So I'll say United, Roma, Arsenal, Villarreal are my predictions. I will save the predictions for the finalists and the winner for the panel next week. We'll discuss that. Champions League, let's talk about the main event. The draw came out for the quarterfinals. In one pod, you have uh, Man City against Borussia Dortmund. The winner of that will face the winner of Bayern Munich and PSG. Some heavyweights going at it there. And on the bottom side of the bracket, you have Real Madrid and Liverpool, who have played quite a bit in recent memory. And they will be playing the winner of Porto and Chelsea. You argue that Chelsea may have gotten the best draw. Nothing against Porto. They, I mean, they beat Juventus. You have to look out for them. But of the teams they could have faced, it does seem like they got the best draw. I think, to me, in this round, the favorite matchup, while City and Dortmund is intriguing, I think the rematch of last year's final between Bayern Munich and PSG should be an electric factory. Must watch appointment television. Not that any of the matches aren't because you have Madrid and Liverpool, City Dortmund. I mean, it's going to be great. Um, my expectations 
Going forward, I expect City to knock out Dortmund. I expect Munich to knock out PSG to set up the Pep Guardiola derby of Man City against Bayern Munich. And I am, yeah, I favor the Premier League sides. I expect Liverpool to knock out Real Madrid. Despite their struggles in the Premier League, they've been really good in Champions League. And Madrid has had some cracks. I expect Chelsea to knock out Porto to set up Liverpool and Chelsea a uh, match that'll put three out of four Premier League teams in to the semifinals. Am I probably going to be wrong? Yeah. Am I, am I overvaluing the Premier League? Probably. But let's see what happens. The predictions for the winners, I'm going to save for the next episode, which is the panel episode. So with the final part of the show, let's go to the gambling corner. And, uh, you know, the so the intern and I are three-quarters of the way through the score. So hopefully I'll have a bonus answer during um, the panel pod. I do have a busy two, three days coming up. I'm putting it in the hands of the intern, and hopefully um, we can get a lot gathered up by Sunday and especially into Tuesday. Um, my hope is that the panel episode will happen either Wednesday or Thursday, likelier as Wednesday, but it's possible it happens Thursday and we get the episode out either Thursday morning or Friday morning. So um, hopefully all your results will be in by then based on the um, table of predictions and the gambling corner. Now, I've got gambling corner picks for those that want to be degenerates during the international break. This will not count for the gambling corner scores, nor will anything you pick. But feel free to send in at the footy corner too with your picks. I've got a pair of matches, or a trio, I should say, of matches on Saturday to look at. One of them is straight up. I'm taking Norway at home over Turkey. They're at plus 130, so you can put, I'm going to put five to win 550. Erling Holland is is on fire. And I know Turkey just came off a win against Netherlands, but... I like the uh, Norwegians at home, and uh, Martin Odegaard should be back. He had a little ankle issue. He is, the coach said he should be playing, but even if he isn't, I still like the way they've been playing lately over Turkey, who's traveling from Turkey all the way to Norway for this match. On Saturday, I've got a parlay for you. Russia hosts Slovenia. Um, They're at minus 120 only, uh, which is a little shocking to me. I expected, or sorry, I've written the wrong number. I've written plus 420. That must be minus 420, actually. It could be. I don't know. But I like Russia at home against Slovenia, an easy one. The tougher one in this parlay is Belgium at the Czech Republic. That comes at minus 159. If you parlay them, you get plus 189, which would be $5 to win 943. So the key there will be the Belgians getting a win, not just a draw at Czech. That could be a tough ask because the Czechs are coming off a 6-2 victory. Granted, it was against Estonia where Suchek got the hat trick. So, again, go with Norway over Turkey and parlay Russia over Slovenia and Belgium over the Czech. I'm a degenerate, so there you go. That is my take on that. That'll do it for this episode. And for my final words, I'm going to take it to hopefully, hopefully, a manager will be facing in the semifinals of the Europa League Good old friend, Unai Emery. Good evening, Alexa. Please to play uh, my favorite song. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. 
Good evening, good evening.